Welcome to the Blockdown Podcast, brought to you by EOK Digital, the number one blockchain PR and communications agency. Every week, we're sharing pearls of wisdom about the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency. Don't forget to subscribe and review our podcast so we can bring you even more great content. Thank you very much. Uh, so I am joined by uh, Wong Junian, journalist and founder of Seed Club, uh, Gunnar Yev, uh, COO of First Digital Trust, and Bradley Miles, CEO of Roll. Um, but I'll let you guys uh, give us a brief introduction to who you are and what you do. So uh, starting with you, uh, Bradley, could you uh, tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, guys, super excited to uh, be here at Blockdown. My name's Bradley. Um, yeah, we've been thinking about this space for around three years. And uh, last year, we launched Roll. So Roll is actually a social money platform that allows anyone, uh, creators, communities, etc., cetera, uh, to create and move uh, their own social money uh, across the web. Uh, so we have over, you know, approaching 300 different creators uh, super excited to talk uh, today about what's going on and uh, the future of the space. Thanks very much, Bradley. Uh, Gunnar, could you uh, give us a little bit of background on yourself? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Also, super excited to be here. Um, my name is Gunnar. Um, I'm the CEO of First Digital Trust. Uh, First Digital Trust is a multi-asset uh, custodian. We hold uh, and custody fiat currencies, uh, digital assets, and all the other different asset classes. Um, also worthwhile mentioning that uh, First Digital Trust is a spin-off company from Legacy Trust, um, which got into digital asset business about two plus years ago now. Thanks very much. And June, a little bit of background on yourself. Hey everyone, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm June. Um, I'm probably best known as a journalist in the space. Uh, I started covering the space uh, back in 2013 as an early staff writer at Coindesk. Uh, I then started the Consensus Conference back in 2015. Um, and until recently was uh, was still uh, working on scaling out that conference when I rejoined them. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a Johnny come lately to, to the personal or social token space compared to people like Bradley. Um, I issued my, my first personal token earlier this year um, after a, a panel discussion, just like this one actually, when I got really interested in it. Um, and since then I've been doing a bunch of work around it. I run a regular meetup for personal token issuers uh, called Personal Tokens. Um, and we're really trying to figure out, you know, the future of uh, community owned um, um, tokenized um, events, uh, media products um, and, and other things of that nature. Um, I help out at Seed Club, so I'm not the founder, but I'm one of the people who um, um, were early in helping out there. Uh, and Seed Club is a incubator for personal token issuers to to help them plug into to templates that will make uh, issuing a token a lot easier. Thanks very much. So circling back to Bradley, um, we've mentioned um, a little bit about social money um, in your intro, but I was wondering, for the benefit of people who may not understand exactly what it is, could you go into a little more detail on what exactly is social money? Exactly. Uh, so we define social money really as this idea uh, of allowing your community to have its own value system that's completely independent of platforms. You could imagine this whole premise uh, of a fan base um, sort of becoming decentralized. Let's take something like Taylor Swift's fan base. 
And that fan base themselves has really developed their own um, sense of culture um, and even a name uh, for themselves, right? So they identify, you know, with themselves as, you know, calling themselves Swifties, right? They even have their own language and inside jokes. And, you know, their, their, their sort of size is, is immense. There's millions of Swifties across the web. And so what we've really seen is, you know, if digital communities can exist outside of platforms, if they could have their own culture, if they could have their own language in memes and GIFs, why can't they have their own monetary system as well? And social money is really the first introduction to that premise. It's a platform independent way to represent value specifically in a community. If we issued Swifties with Taylor Swift, it would be completely independent of her label, Spotify, uh, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, all the platforms she uses. And the value of Swifties is derived directly from the community. There's never been a time in history uh, where people, individuals, uh, can effectively issue their own money uh, and derive that value from a community. Uh, Ethereum singularly, uh, with its infrastructure, allows this to be possible. This, in a nutshell, is, uh, is social money. Um, so you mentioned issuing. How exactly do the mechanics of social tokens work? How, how are they issued and what can they be redeemed for? Exactly, yeah. So this is, a, this is a very open design space. I'm sure June has some ideas here as well. So at Roll, we've really done our best to define um, social money on the platform as having a specific utility related to two things. One of those things is membership. Uh, so the idea of gaining access to a group uh, so if we were to effectively create uh, social money for this, uh, for this panel, uh, and we created sort of a panel currency, we could actually create a way to permission access and allow only people that, you know, let's say hold 500 panel to get in. Uh, this is fascinating because it allows you to do three things, right? So one thing uh, is very familiar in a sort of OnlyFans, Patreon-esque way, only the holders uh, specifically of panel in this case could get in. But two, um, it allows people to own uh, the value that's created in the group, which is uniquely possible through this mechanism. As a subscriber on Patreon or OnlyFans, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm, my relationship with the creator is very different uh, than let's say owning panel in this case. And then three, everyone's favorite sort of, you know, use case here, um, the ability to speculate on the value of the community is interesting as well. Um, everyone on this panel is pretty cool. I may want to hold more than 500 panel to get it. I may want to hold a few thousand panel. Um, and so this uniquely provides this. Um, so those, those three use cases are, are fascinating, but that, that one premise is membership. And the second premise is rewards. Very similar to airline miles, loyalty points, which is sort of the, the, the category that we see social money in. Uh, we allow people, you know, like, like uh, June or, or, or sort of others to uh, uh, earn and uh, have anyone spend their social money on roll and also plug it into other um, applications. So we've recently seen an explosion in, in NFTs. I think you guys are doing a great job covering that. Um, you could issue your own social money and plug it directly into OpenSea and have other people use it as a payment tool for their NFTs as well. And so this concept of social money payments is emerging, uh, as is this space of, uh, of, of membership. Um, 
Thanks for that. So uh, you've talked a little bit about how people and communities are sort of using social tokens to incentivize community participation. This feels like a good opportunity to uh, to ask uh, June about his own personal token. Uh, so you've created a personal token of your own. Um, why and uh, how have you used it? So um, I really did it as an experiment um, to see what I could do with it. And Bradley very kindly helped me issue it on uh, through his platform, which is Roll. Um, and so, you know, uh, I, I have the same sort of um, uh, emission schedule as other people who have issued, had their tokens issued uh, on Roll, which is a 10 million uh, total supply. And then a certain amount is emitted um, over the course of a number of years. Um, so I, I really wanted to, to experiment with it because I, I really like this idea of, um, you know, we talk about the the passion econ economy these days, um, and this notion that you know creators can own their uh, their work as well as the social ties that they create uh, with their fans or with their um, sort of community. Um, and the secondary effect of that is not only can creators own the ties with their fans, but fans can also own their ties with other fans, right? Um, because um, you know that peer-to-peer -peer aspect of the community is is a thing that is very valuable as well. Um, and you see this in you know current sort of global phenomena like um, the K-pop group BTS, uh, which has a very very powerful um, global community that is uh, that coordinate themselves uh, a lot of it online. Um, across geographical barriers and time zones. Um, and that has led to BTS being both a huge cultural phenomenon as well as a financial one, right? So their label recently went public uh, in, in on the South Korean markets and they were a thousand times oversubscribed from institutional investors, right? Because the, the BTS fan base and they call themselves ARMY um, is just so, so valuable. You know, you're never gonna find um, that kind of retention and stickiness in terms of um, 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 sort of people who consume and also produce the culture that's associated with with BTS. Um, so so that's a long way of saying, you know, I think there's there's a lot to explore here. And, and the, the reason why I got a token was I wanted to, to, to sort of get into that. And one of the ways I started to use it was, you know, you had to buy my June token in order to stake it um, at my personal tokens meetup. Which I which I host uh, on on Kickback. So Kickback is a platform that requires users to stake some tokens, uh, and then if you attend, you get your stake back. If you end up being a no-show, then your your stake is is uh, distributed to the people who did attend. So there's some kind of profit uh, incentive for people uh, to to basically attend. Um, so yeah, that that was one experiment that I've been running. Um, so you mentioned the personal tokens meetup. Um, that's obviously a meetup that's specifically about social money. So I was wondering if you could uh, talk me through some of the maybe issues that have, or questions that have been raised about uh, social money at the meetup. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I started it as a way for me to sort of puzzle out some of the strategic and tactical issues around having your own money. I thought it was a strange sensation to have my own token was sort of like my my Twitter avatar was linked to it, right? It, it's it, it was a sort of disorienting sensation, um, and then it, things got really weird when I decided to start a Uniswap pool for it, right? So I, I started a June ETH pool, 
And within seconds of the pool, I saw there were transactions. There were people actually buying my token. Uh, well, people might be overstating it. I mean, I'm sure they were just Uniswap bots, right? But there were transactions. I was just like, what is going on? This is crazy. Why would anyone buy this token? I haven't even told anyone this pool exists, you know? Um, and so really, it, the idea was to puzzle it, puzzle through some of these issues with, with other issuers. Um, and, you know, one thing that comes up is this idea of, um, well, isn't it weird to be in a world where, you know, every creator has their own token like that like why why bother with that when you can just use you know the US dollar or ether or something else and i think it's important to to recognize that you know uh, a world with a great plural plurality of social monies um is is more common than not uh, if we look at the history of money right we only ended up with sort of uh, hegemonic uh, forms of money like pound sterling or, or the US dollar relatively recently. So lots of, uh, if you look at, for example, the sociological or anthropological literature, lots of communities had their own forms of money and money served as a, a as a sort of a snapshot of social bonds and social trust. And that's why people transacted with each other in particular forms of money that were local to them. Um, so so this, this idea isn't as strange as it might sound. In fact, it's more common to have you know, local forms of money and specific forms of money than one overarching money, which we have, through an accident of history, you know, become used to. That's very interesting. And speaking of issues that are sort of raised by the emergence of social money and all of these many different currencies, the current regulatory environment isn't really necessarily set up to deal with this. Um, so when we uh, did a feature on social tokens recently, we spoke to a partner at a law firm who mentioned that social tokens could be considered speculative investments, they could attract civil and even criminal penalties for issuers. Um, I suppose this seems like a good place for, for Gunnar to jump in. What, what's your view on this issue of the regulation around social tokens? Well, um, I, I think um, there's a very simple sort of a test for that. I'm sure like everybody that's watching already knows about how it tests, but it all boils down to whether there is an expectation of profit. So like in any case, if you're issuing a token or promoting a token and um, you're making it look like that there's an expectation to the profit, whoever is purchasing or subscribing to it, it could very well be a security. And, you know, most likely it actually would be a security. Um, the flip side of that is that I, I think regulators right now are too busy, you know, working on busting uh, other bigger <laughs> projects and bigger scams. And they, they tend not to go after uh, these sort of, um, I would say, like social experiments in, in this sense. Uh, I think in the long run, um, you know, if some of these projects get huge and, you know, they, they might see an element of abuse there, uh, there is a reality that, yeah, regulators could step in. Um, uh, but I think it's not that big of an impact to the end user or the token holder. If you look at the recent cases, you will see um, that most often um, they will actually target the promoters or the issuers. So there's there's definitely a risk for that. Um, but you know, in other cases where uh, the tokens have like a utility, a very clear utility, you know, it grants an access. Or you know, um, before um, we were talking about you know air miles and things like that, where it sort of functions within a, a system, and there is no direct expectation of profit or you don't know that you know it's going to generate you x percent roi per year uh, i think it very well could be a utility so it's it's definitely a fine line i think 
um, it's it's I, I see this whole area as you know, you know along with DeFi as a huge experiment, and I, I think uh, it's something that the issuers need to think about. Uh, and it's it's better to think about early on than later on because once you know sometimes once you go down the path, it's very hard to fix it later on. We've seen that with some of the other you know uh, token projects, and you cannot unwind time essentially. So it's it's always good to have this at the back of your heads. It's always good to talk to external parties like lawyers, uh, advisors, that um, might you know if you're planning to issue, let's say something, uh, they might be able to point you in a right direction. You don't need to have like a, you know ten person legal team, but uh, it's always good to have um, a, you know outside advice and second advice. Thanks, um, Bradley. You're obviously running a social token. Uh, Firm. Um, I was wondering what your thoughts on this issue of regulation are and how you see it evolving um, to, to fit the social token space. Yeah, so just, just piggybacking on Gunnar there. Yeah, so we, we, we basically identify three primitives of utility or three pillars of utility, if you will. So uh, one is the ability to earn. Two is the uh, uh, concept of membership, right? Very similar to Patreon or uh, a service like this. And the other three, uh, the third one is rewards, uh, this concept of redeeming uh, sort of something uh, of value, it's a shirt or a question, anything like this uh, via, via via social money. Um, so there are things we do, and then there are things we don't do, right? So if a um, baseball player approached us and wanted to uh, effectively turn their like baseball contract into uh, a, a token itself and have the holders of that token uh, you know receive dividends on um, you know this 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 contract that they've uh, established uh, that'd be in the category of something we don't do uh, if a company approached us and these are things we've said no to in the past right uh, if a company approached us and the company wanted to transform their equity, uh, into a token and call that social money. And the only purpose uh, of that token uh, was a representation of equity. That's another thing we wouldn't do. And so what we're getting at is um, as we're early in the space, like, you know, like, you know, 2007 Uber early, or like, you know, right when, you know, the first year of Airbnb early, it's sort of up to us to set the guidelines on what will be uh, uh, sort of, sort of um, uh, the standard to do this. And so we've done our best with those, uh, those categories and we've sort of identified uh, the use cases for social money, uh, at least on roll, uh, as being very much in the FTC category. Um, so, you know, uh, you think about things like Patreon, like a recurring membership platform, um, different things like this. So we've identified membership as an interest uh, we've identified, you can think about something like earn.com, the ability to just like, hey, you know, I want to get some, back to the real example, like, I want to get some panel, you know, uh, one of the ways to get panel, maybe to, um, you know, sign up and, you know, stay for the whole length of the panel. Maybe you'll get 10 panel. And so that utility in itself, you know, with earn uh, could be interesting. So uh, apologies and investor enrolls. So, you know, the, the concept of, of earn.com and having sort of this earn function is really interesting. Um, and yeah, the, 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 the sort of reward space as well. Um, sort of similar to airline miles or loyalty points. So anything that we see identified as sort of an FTC space, we cover. Roll will never formally like become AngelList or Lending Club or any sort of debt-based or equity-based uh, platform, uh, which is SEC governed. Um, I think we've seen folks try and do that, whether it's like you know, Polymath or um, I think 
there were sort of a few other ones, these sort of like security token uh, sort, of, uh, sort of spaces. But um, you know, for us, we're going to stay way on this category and just sort of help guide the space in sort of uh, in sort of an FTC lens. And we've been super um, uh, just, just just grateful to have a, a nice legal team that sort of sees that view as well and, and helps guide us. Also, um, nope. Do you go? Uh, sorry, yeah, just to just to add to that, I, I find the membership concept quite interesting, and we we can draw a lot of parallels. Like in in many jurisdictions, like common law jurisdictions, if you look at the company incorporation, you have essentially two types of companies. You have companies limited by shares, which is a you know cookie cutter standard company, you know limited liability company. But uh, many jurisdictions also um, uh, basically uh, have companies limited by guarantee. So we call those membership companies. So your golf club would be like a membership company. And very often when we talk with some of our clients that are sort of in this field, um, and when we talk about is there expectation of profit and what the project is about, we use this golf club example. Uh, so imagine a golf club right now, it's just a piece of land, you know, but you can already sell membership uh, to that golf club. You know, you have the projects, you have all of that. Maybe right now the value of the membership is, I don't know, $5,000 a year, $10,000 a year, because it's just a piece of land. Now, over the years, uh, when the golf club builds the clubhouse, they build out all the fields, they, you know, uh, build out the whole thing, the value of that membership uh, inherently rises as well. So this is, it's, it's a very similar uh, sort of a concept. And it's, it's not that you're directly making that uh, membership purchase as an investment or like uh, you expect ROI, but uh, just by this project developing, the value of that membership increases. So it's it's a quite interesting area. And I think there's um, a lot to be learned when looking at these guarantee companies and uh, membership companies in different jurisdictions and how they're structured. We've, we've leaned quite heavily into the regulation question. So I'm gonna sort of broaden it out to a, a, a bigger picture question. This might be one for June. Um, so social tokens place uh, token issuers in a sort of direct relationship with their audience. Um, from your point of view, what do you see the implications of that being for sort of legacy platforms, you know, the web two uh, platforms like the YouTubes and the, and the publishers of this world? Yeah, I mean, I was gonna turn the question back on you, Stephen, because <laughs> I think Decrypt has a very interesting model that involves tokenizing its own website, right? Um, and its community, right? And I've, I've gotten a demo of it once. And I think the idea is, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, users and readers get rewarded in tokens for interactions with articles, right? So if I write a comment, if I like an article, I get some tokens. Um, so I think, and I think the difference is those tokens are not freely tradable, right? They're not, uh, they're, they're more like airline miles than they are like an ERC-20 token. And I think the interesting thing about the ERC-20 token model is um, it really divorces the the money layer from from the platform, right? And so, as a result, uh, you might say the creator owns their community, but they only own it as much as the community owns it, because they don't fully control uh, that circulating supply of token either, right? So, um, so I think that's the interesting difference is that you know you have this portable uh, value layer or money layer um, that is sort of separate from the uh, distribution, the content distribution layer. Um, uh, I think that's 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 the major difference here, uh, because as you say, you know, there's already points and and ways of uh, calculating 
loyalty and, and other things that already exist on those closed platforms, right? Like Twitch or uh, YouTube and so on. Um, so the difference is really the the the, the independent uh, the independence of that money layer. But anyway, I would love to hear how the decrypt uh, experiment is going. Thank thank you very much for that uh, that plug for the decrypt app. Yeah, the decrypt app, um, as you say, uh, takes a, a, a an interesting approach to tokenization, whereby um, you essentially earn tokens for, as you say, interacting with articles, for liking, for sharing, for commenting, for even based on like read time. Uh, on an article and that those can then be redeemed for either in-app features or down the line things like you know, vouchers or, or such like. Um, from our point of view it's it's interesting as a way of shaking up advertising primarily I think or from my point of view I find that the most interesting aspect because I think the the web 2 advertising model is fairly fundamentally broken serving intrusive ads um, we're seeing Web3 platforms like Brave trying to tackle this. And our tokenization model is along those lines. The tokens are sponsored by, so we, we have seasons of tokens that are sponsored by individual advertisers. And that's an interesting way for advertisers to get their message, get their product platform in front of um, readers, uh, while also incentivizing the readers to want to collect and to want to have that, that relationship with the brand. So as far as that experiment's going, I think it's a, it's, in its very early stages, um, we're very excited by the uh, the prospects of it. Um, I think you touched on a very interesting point that I'd like to uh, to just ping back to uh, to Bradley there, which was um, you talked about the difference between community and personal tokens, and um, I think Bradley mentioned that sort of 300 tokens have been launched on Roll, and I'd be interested to hear about the sort of patterns that you've identified in terms of who's launching personal, strictly personal tokens, who's launching tokens that are tied in with a community brand, um, such as, you know, for example, we could name this panel token rather than Stephen token, for instance. Um, I'd be interested in hearing what differentiates a community token from a social token and why people are choosing to make that choice. Yeah, I'll give a few analogies about um, how we see this developing, but in terms of sort of a thesis-driven approach, uh, we would generally say that the value comes from the community. If we did create panel token or even Steven token in this case, um, your online presence and maybe your offline presence as well, um, it, it uh, will sort of you know derive the value for that token regardless of what it's called. So um, five, six years from now, the Steven token or panel token may, may have nothing to do with you. It may be governed by 3,000 people that use it in Bali to uh, shop at a mall. You know, like, and, and that may be the core use of like Stephen Token. Uh, so, you know, we, we we generally think, since we think in that terms, we're very excited about uh, thematically what we've seen. I'm, I'm like, um, as sort of a founder, one of the most interesting things is just the vantage point. I get to see 300 different communities kind of emerge in this in this new way. And it's it's just a, a sort of a former journalist as well. It's just a fascinating, um, you know, approach. So, so what we've generally seen is like, I'd say for the first 50 or 70, uh, it was very much like, you know, people coming in and uh, issuing uh, social money under their name. Um, and there were a few different um, types of people that had a theme that was interesting. So the first two uh, were a tattoo artist from uh, Madrid named Skinny 
and he's famous in you know Madrid for just you can go there and get a huge skull tattoo on your your arm or something and he's just kind of a local uh, legend there he got into the NFT space started minting NFTs and uh, instead of calling it Skinny or, or his name Jeff um, he decided to call it Skull and people freaked out because uh, he had his own emoji uh, it was called Skull he developed this concept called Skull Nation which was like four skull holders and people got very excited another sort of um, early leader there was a, another artist Connie Digital who does bright Warhol style pop colors and uh, he did decide he decided to call his social money uh, Hue, which was really interesting. And they've developed memes. To be a human is to hold a certain amount of hue. And these inside jokes develop, like we talked about, that we think really drive the economy. You know, and now what we're seeing, you know, uh, you know, creator 200, 250, 280, um, is people are really excited about this idea of naming it after themes in their community. So I'm gonna give a few examples. Um, so I think one of the most famous examples on Roll is a creator uh, named Whale Shark. Whale Shark has kind of become the uh, Rockefeller or Eli Broad of uh, the NFT space, right? So as we're seeing things explode on Super Rare and Maker's Place and all these platforms, um, it is likely that Whale Shark probably owns some of their, their pieces. And so this idea of someone uh, becoming a whale of someone holding sort of something of value in this space um, has sort of like been a theme of his social money, which is called whale. Another one is Andrew Lee, uh, who's an investor uh, in the space and uh, is very much into the idea of giving back and creating sort of positive sum communities. So he decided to create a social, call his social money instead of Andrew, he decided to call it karma. And so this whole community is based around giving back and interactions. And it's actually developed into somewhat of a pitch platform specifically on Telegram and Zoom. And this is the direction he's taken it in. And that course of direction, I think, is would be very different if he called it Andrew uh, versus Karma. So we're excited to see that. The most recent trend we're seeing, which is like weeks old, is people calling their social money after almost philosophies or principles uh, that they have. So um, there's a Substack writer that is going to uh, announce something called Thanks With Us. And Thanks is about creating this whole enlightened community um, that wants to contribute good or positivity to the world. And you can receive thanks or give thanks for really just saying nice things. And creating this concept of a more thankful world uh, through sort of a, a, a social money is, is fantastic. And there's a few others, but yeah, that's sort of a brief history of, of what I've seen. I, I, I find myself wondering if uh, if bagging a social token name is going to be the new sort of domain name squatting. Should I dash out and register Swifties for myself? Um, yeah. um, so uh, here, here's a broad question for the whole panel, I guess. Um, what will it take for this category to go mainstream? Because it's still very much a, a niche concern, I think, at the moment, despite some fairly big names getting involved in it. I think in the last couple of days, there have been some announcements on that score. Um, but what do you see as the sort of timeline for adoption of this technology? Throw it over to the panel, whoever wants to respond. <laughs> um, I, 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 oh, sorry, is someone else gonna? Uh, yeah, so I, it's just a really short one. I, I think, uh, you know, th this is a sort of a very, as I mentioned, it's also like a social experiment. I think it's the content creators and uh, individual people that really need to plug this a lot. Like, um, you, like if you look at the YouTube, kind of how YouTube has evolved in 
past years. Uh, you know, it went from like very centralized advertising on YouTube. And now you have a lot of content creators, you know, using Patreon, they're doing their own plugs. They're, everybody's doing their own thing. You know, some of them have their own websites, fan clubs, all of that. I think it, when we say mainstream, it doesn't mean institutional in this space. It means the content creators need to create these sort of small social networks. And the more of these so smaller social networks out there are, um, I think the bigger it will get. Yeah, I'll jump in next. Um, so a lot of what we do is going out and talking to uh, to sort of mainstream creators. Um, so one of the first people that issued on Roll was actually an Instagram influencer that never held, you know, ETH or, um, you know, dealt with MetaMask or uh, sort of sort of anything like that. Uh, so her name's Laurel. She's big on TikTok. She has 800,000 followers, uh, you know, on Instagram. She has sort of, sort of a quarter million. And... Um, you know, as, as we think through this, you know, we come to realize that even something like Patreon is niche um, to sort of the, the larger creators. There's creators out there that don't know about Patreon. Um, people are just starting to get into things like OnlyFans. Um, some people don't even know what Discord is or Telegram or Twitch and like mainstream, like truly mainstream it, it is sort of going to be difficult to reach but like i think what we're trying to do is work with creators that can help as gunner said sort of take that that path so like when youtube started i was super young but i remember the first video was just one of the founders in a zoo just like it's like here i am at a zoo and the first creator i'd say on youtube that i really looked at the platform and was like oh this is going to take over the world um is like lady gaga she just came up with all these visuals and like completely changed the the medium it was like you can create an amazing video that you don't need like vh1 or mtv to sort of you know do you can do whatever you want and just put it up there and that was fascinating and so i think with us we're trying to find our gagas we're trying to find stuff like this um i think this news is public but you know we just uh did a uh we, we just uh, announced a partnership with uh with akon uh the artist so you know akon's of course you know globally known and almost kind of, you know, uh, sort of one of the mononyms that, you know, comes from a, a continent in particular when you think of an artist. So uh, we'll be doing a few things with Akon and, and people in his world and hopefully see more partnerships like this. I think um, if Akon could be our Gaga or if we could start to see people like that, um, even ideas of like record labels launching their own label tokens and maybe those label tokens having the ability to you know, um, um, sort of be given out to artists or having the label as a platform where artists can issue, maybe that's powered by a role or something else. Um, I think these types of APIs and these types of individuals are really key pieces or Legos, as people like to say, um, to sort of um, help scale this, you know, for, for creators and communities. And speaking of scaling, June, you're, um, you're working on a project called Seed Club, I believe, which is uh, designed to help sort of kickstart the uh, adoption of this technology. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Seed Club is really um, a kind of community run, I guess, uh, incubator. Uh, we're doing our, our hackathon right now. Um, and part of the goal of the hackathon is to uh, get developers to come in and help to build some of the tooling um, for token issuers to plug into. Because um, I mean, to 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 Bradley's or, the, or to the earlier point about how will this go mainstream? I think you know there's a supply side question and, and a demand side question, right? So the demand side question is, you know, which are the big superstars, the big creators with huge fan bases who are going to really 
uh, activate those fan bases around this token. And the supply side question is, how will these creators be able to plug into these token economies and be able to, you know, sort of operate their own monetary policy in a way that doesn't require a huge team of economists at a central bank to help them, right? Um, and so Seed Club is really trying to solve, you know, a lot of the, uh, the supply side questions right now in terms of tooling, in terms of policy, in terms of how do you decentralize control of a token to a community. Um, and then just just back to the question of, um, and we've got some great judges as well, you know, because we've seen that there's a big trend and movement uh, around creators, uh, media thinkers, um, um, and investors uh, around this theme of owning your own community. So we have folks like um, Jesse Walden, who used to be at A16Z Crypto. He's a judge at the Seed Club Hackathon. Uh, Ian Lee from IDEO as well. Um, just a, a big convergence of different types of folks who are interested in this question now, uh, which which we think is very encouraging. Um, and then just a quick one on on mainstream adoption. I mean, you know, I think the efforts of folks like Bradley at Roll, uh, and I do work as well um, for another token issuance platform called Rally um, as a researcher in residence there. Um, you know, I think the efforts of these platforms reaching out to people with large fan bases, like Rally just announced um, a deal with the Japanese footballer uh, Keisuke Honda used to play for AC Milan. Um, you know, those sorts of things will really push uh, this technology into the mainstream. Uh, and then so the question then becomes, you know, can we solve the supply side issues um, quickly enough? I think one of the, the other interesting questions as we sort of head into the final straight of this discussion is the broader question of the, the future of work and social tokens, because obviously we're talking about big names, we're talking about Akons and, and Lady Gagas, but we're also talking about um, what you might call micro-influencers adopting these um, tokens, and, some, and in some cases people actually having their activities governed by them. In a, in a world where sort of small-scale freelancers are, you know, running their own personal token or community token for their own activities, how does that interact with the future of work as, as far as sort of employers go? And, uh, you know, will we carry our own social tokens from employer to employer? I don't know who wants to dive in on that one. <laughs> I mean, well, maybe I'll... I'll... I can... Oh yeah, go for it, go for it. Yeah, just uh, just from my side, I, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we see and what, what June was also mentioning is, when you're talking about small, smaller scale uh, players and individuals trying to monetize or uh, tokenize their work output, it's essentially impossible to do uh, that to a traditional system, right? So you cannot go to like a big asset management firm and say, hey, I want to tokenize my work output. So it, it gives an opportunity for these people uh, essentially to do that and it doesn't it, it cannot even fit into that system because it's a traditional financial system that it's like, you know, their minds will explode if you try to explain it to them. So um, it, it really um, allows these individuals to do something that was never even possible. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it's, it's actually quite amazing if you think about it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, so I, I see that we're sort of heading into the, the final straight of this. Um, so I have many, many questions that I'd, I'd love to ask you. I think we've covered sort of half of the ones that I had. Um, 
But I guess uh, to sort of wrap up, um, I'll work my way around the panel and ask you guys, what, what do you see as the most important thing that to take away from this panel regarding social tokens? Uh, what's, what's your one key takeaway? Um, Bradley? Yeah, um, so I think people should start understanding this um, thematically as a massive, massive shift. You could understand the total value of user-generated content uh, on the web um, as valued as somewhere near like 20 to 25 trillion. Um, what is literally happening right now is we are shifting from a concept that people understand of user-generated content to the next phase, uh, which will likely be something called user-generated capital. And the tools of user-generated capital right now happen to be social money and the features will be very different. People won't necessarily subscribe or like, there'll be entirely new features built. We may represent likes and happiness or being the goat or having something be fire as their own tokens. Um, a lot of these tools and platforms will inevitably shift, but you'll see things like Roll and others sort of lead the category in this, this user-generated capital concept. So I think terms like this will become important and people will see like thing like what June's doing with personal tokens is like it's just an entirely new way to engage in a community. It's a new form of, you know, um, in many ways, it's sort of a new form of subscribing or sort of representing sort of membership in a community. And um, you'll start to see more experiments like this. Some will be wildly successful. Some will be super innovative. Um, but yeah, people should start to understand this as a new category um, that in many ways is not going away, right? Um, this will probably help define the next decade of, of what it means to be a creator. And um, I would urge folks to get involved either as issuers, as developers, as thinkers, um, and just sort of help help move this forward. It's something that can truly help uh, make Web3 and Ethereum go, go mainstream. I mean, you know, if the top people in the world have their own social money on Ethereum, it's over. Like, of, of course, everyone's sort of, you know, building uh, around those, whether it's platforms or entertainment or, you know, TV, anything like this. So, you know, we're super excited. We really see this as like a sort of a 20 year journey. Thanks very much. Uh, June, your final thoughts? Yeah, I'll jump in here. Um, yeah, that that's a really great summation from Bradley. I love that term, um, user-generated capital. You know, there's a great essay written 20 years ago by a philosopher named um, Tiziana Terranova, and she wrote an essay called Free Labor. And she argued that, you know, the internet is run by essentially free labor, right? The labor of uh, moderating mailing lists, writing web pages, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, I think this convergence of technologies now means that a lot of that free labor that the internet was run on uh, might actually be able to be uh, captured in some way uh, in the form of a crypto token uh, and transferred among both the people who do the labor and the people who consume the labor. And I think that's a that's a really massive shift, I think, in, in the way sort of the internet economy operates. Um, so, um, yeah, I think, you know, people issuing and groups issuing their own tokens uh, really represents a big shift in the way that um, that the, that uh, interests are uh, or incentives are aligned uh, on the internet. And thank you very much. Gunnar, your final thoughts? Um, I think the way I see it is this is sort of a perfect model for what a sort of 
the internet age, there's so many industries that have that were created and are um, you know th that were essentially established decades ago and that are broken. You know, let's look at advertising or music business and you know, all of these very sort of centralized industries that don't really fit this internet age where you have individual creators and all of that. So I, I think the timing for this is right. It has potential to fix a lot of these broken industries and actually give more power to the creators and the individuals uh, in a way, cut out middlemans and, you know, um, make it more sort of personal as well. Right. So if you have somebody sitting behind a computer or, you know, you're, uh, let's say, uh, you know, a fan of an artist or somebody, it would allow also to create the personal connection. Uh, so I, I think, you know, it's worthwhile trying whether you're you're trying to issue a token, social token, or whether you're just, uh, you know, somebody that heard about this for the first time, um, you know, just give it a try, you know, buy that first single token. If nothing else, you will learn how this works. And maybe, you know, it will lead down like a very interesting path or journey. Thanks very much. Uh, I, clearly, this is a fascinating subject. Uh, I could ask so many more questions, but I think we've run out the clock, unfortunately. Um, I think this is going to be a hugely uh, impactful space and we're at a very nascent stage. So I encourage everyone to, to read up on this and maybe experiment with it, as Gunnar said. Um, I'd just like to thank uh, Blockdown for hosting us and my panelists for all their insights and their time. Uh, and I think that just about wraps things up. for listening to the Blockdown podcast. To connect with us on social media, buy tickets for the next Blockdown event, or find out more about EAK Digital, head to the show notes for further information and links to everything. See you next week! <laughs>